Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, brought to you by VT Scoop 24-7 Sports. My name is Andrew Alex, joined today by the, the great Doug Bowman. Doug Bowman alone. Doug, how you doing, man? Uh, I'm doing well, doing well. Uh, got got the Braves game pulled up on the second screen, so if I am a little delayed... Something happened. <laughs> I don't blame you. I don't blame you. I remember uh, I broke some live news to you on one of last year's podcasts. I remember I that. believe it was a Jorge Soler home run. Soler, you were like, he just hit this one to the moon. <laughs> and, that, and, and I looked at it and then I watched it and I was like, oh, you weren't exaggerating. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, I'm not here to talk about baseball. I'm not going to be talking about baseball at all anytime soon. Uh, but we are here to talk about what matters. Two and four, Virginia Tech Hokies. Two and three, two and four. Two and four. Two and four. Don't cut them short. <laughs> yeah, it, it adds up. But hey, they're playing the two and three Miami Hurricanes this week in a huge battle. After on RSN, whatever <laughs> RSN is for you. You know, Tech in Miami doesn't play, uh, don't play after this until 2025. Yeah, after all the, they played every year since 1992, and after all the, you know, the great moments in this series history, it's only fitting that it goes out on an RSN at 12:30 p.m. It's beautiful. Yep. It's beautiful. And by the way, ACC Network will be airing the 2021. Are they still doing that? that? I, I, I hope so. so. <laughs> I was kind That's of thinking they would like how ridiculous that seems. I kind of want to like set up a Twitter search to get notifications of people being like people watching last year's game thinking yeah, like, they're why watching. is it so dark out? Yeah. Like, why is it raining? Like is Blumrick playing quarterback I, and stuff like that. I had friends go to this game and it's in Miami. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, regardless, before we get to the Canes, let's talk about uh, what happened last week, Doug. And what happened was records were set, but not by the Hokies. Virginia Tech is there. Their strongest offensive performance of the year. Uh, and, you know, we, I feel like we thought the, the game plan, you know, the, the path to victory was this team can score 25 points. The defense holds them, right? That was kind of the conventional wisdom as to how wins would be attained by Virginia Tech. Uh, and they got more than 25, and they fell way short. Uh, due to what I described as the dam breaking. And it was Israel Abanacanda who broke it. 
At the same time, though, I mean, there are tech fans who, and certainly, I mean, the players are going to say what the players say in the press conferences, but they feel like this team, you know, showed you what you wanted to see there, despite it all. So just generally speaking, kind of where are you at with this? Yeah, it was an interesting game. It was completely different than what we'd seen coming in. Um, definitely some a step or two forward from the Virginia Tech offense. Uh, Grant Wallace has now played his two best games, according to PFF, in the last two weeks. Malachi Thomas coming back was an obvious boost and immediate um you know, immediate help to the running game. And then if, if you look at the numbers, I wrote this in my game preview this week, Virginia Tech's offensive line is definitely blocking better for the run this, um, since that West Virginia game. It's the, their line yards per rush have gone up um, in each of the last three. So uh, encouraging for the, for a little bit. I'm not, I'm not ready to go like this offense is turning the corner yet. Um, but we talked all, we talked leading up to that game about, like you said, trying to get to 30 points and they got pretty darn close there. Um, it was the defense that let them down, which was the big surprise. Um, we've definitely seen the defense kind of fall off a little bit since the, you know, since they were playing the ODUs and Boston colleges of the world. Um, Abana Kanda is a really, really good tailback, so that he had success wasn't surprising that he had that level of success definitely was. Um, I thought I said last week, the North Carolina game in the secondary, that felt like a 2018 Virginia Tech defense performance. This felt like, you know, 2018 in terms of stopping the run and that it just didn't happen. Yeah, it, it certainly had that feel. But is this offensive performance, you know, replicatable if you will i mean pitt was on paper the best defense that virginia tech was going to face all year not all year but to that point in the year it was the best defense that they had faced and you know after not being able to get much momentum at all against far inferior opponents defensively in west virginia and of course north carolina it seems like something's starting to build is it the addition of the new faces? Like, what would you attribute to that? Yeah, definitely a little bit of Malachi Thomas. Uh, and, and then I, I do think the offensive line has taken a step or two forward with the run blocking. Or Early in the year, it just was not happening at all up front. Um, some progress there. I'm not sure that's sustainable. Um, the next two weeks in particular, Miami's got a strong run defense. NC State's got one of the best defenses in the conference, if not the country. So... You may not see it uh, the next two weeks. And to be fair, I haven't looked at uh, the November. I haven't looked at it, any of the November um, opponents. But that's, it seems like so, that, that that's a um, month where this offense, where you could see that this Pittsburgh offense translate um, more during, during that month than you may see it over the next two weeks. And Thomas and King as a one-two punch feels – Feels good. Feels like a, a pretty decent duo there. Um, definitely two guys to watch over the next um, over the next what is it six games left in the season. So you know we'll see. And and in the I think Wells in the passing game they're kind of figuring out. You know they hit they hit Caleb Smith. 
if Caleb Smith can stay 100% can get 100% healthy, it's pretty clear he could be a um, a pretty quality receiver. I'm not ready to say he's a you know a number one receiver compared to the other top number one receivers in the ACC, but he's made some impressive catches and um, you know what was it nine catches, 150 yards against Pitt, and, and then the deep ball to Lofton that you know. Throwing the deep pass is how this Virginia Tech offense is going to score points. They're far more explosive and better generating explosive plays, throwing the ball down the field than short passes or running the football. So it it feels like you're starting to see Tyler Bowen piece together what the offense should look like in terms of getting Malachi Thomas back, improved run blocking, and then throwing the deep ball. That that's how Tech is going to score points. Uh, Daquan Wright, another good game. Feels like they need to take the training wheels off him completely um, and, and make him, you know, a more, more of a focal point of the offense. Yeah, for sure. And, and it's real interesting to me, Doug, right? Because last week we mentioned, or I guess I mentioned, I, I said, look, just the next couple of weeks, you know, the next three weeks, if you will, Figure out what you have. You need to experiment with some stuff, experiment with some stuff. Because by the time November rolls around, those are games that you need to win most of to create the, you know, public perception of any sort of momentum. Perception is reality in college football in this day and age. Like, you need to know what you have by the time November rolls around. And for three quarters and save some defensive breakdowns, I mean, Virginia Tech looked to an extent, competent offensively, and that's something that we really haven't seen all year. At the same time, you can still look at all-star penalty delay of game, taking bad sacks, and it reminds you that this offense still has a long way to go. Yeah, that that's gotta be <laughs> that's gotta be the frustrating part. I mean, not a this is not a group that can afford those mistakes turnovers and penalties and they, and they can, commit them more than like any they, other team in the country and they continue i mean the sequence against pitt where they knocked themselves out of field goal range or they were going to go for it what was it false start delay a game <laughs> delay a game on when they ran the field goal unit out and then a punt when they knocked themselves out of field goal range i mean um just makes you want to pull your hair out <laughs> just like no nah. I was looking at the stats. Uh, Pitt had eight scoring opportunities, which is drives inside the 40. You got to get points when you move inside the opponent's 40. Pitt had eight. Tech had seven right there in terms of scoring opportunities. Pitt scored 38 points on those opportunities. Tech scored 17. That's that's the story of the game. Um, and, and part of that is because they just shoot themselves in a the foot. This shoot themselves in their foot. I mean, this is not a say what you want about the Justin Fuente era, but they didn't really shoot themselves in the foot with penalties like that. I think um, you attribute that to first-year coaching staff and maybe not um, crisply preparing, knowing the importance of those and what happens and all that stuff. I don't know, but um, <laughs> like like if Tech wants to win and finish strong in November, they're going to have to figure that out, even against the Georgia Techs of the world. Yeah, I mean, you can only imagine the circumstance, right? I mean, as much as Tech could improve, may improve, and, you know, Carolina, West Virginia, Pitt, 
we can attribute the loss to a gap in talent. Those are better football teams than what Virginia Tech has. Miami and NC State probably too. Miami and NC State fall in the same category. Georgia Tech, Liberty, Duke, and UVA, there's not a talent gap. If yeah. the other team is more talented, it's marginal. And from my perspective, I think Virginia Tech probably is the more talented team of all those three. I mean, Jeff Sims is a good quarterback. I, I think Virginia Tech lacks a quarterback position compared to those three opponents. But yeah. it, it is what it is. Uh, so you have to get that locked down because the excuses are going to be running out at that point. And I think the point where a patient fan base for the most part starts really turning is if mistakes that ultimately team mistakes that ultimately can be attributed to coaching are losing you those winnable games in November. It has to be ironed out and they have not much time to do it. And I mean, yeah, it's a first year coaching staff, but I'd like to look at a comparison to all the other first year coaching staffs, even the first year coaching staffs with, like former coordinators as yeah. the head coach. Yeah. Because you, 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 could, you could play that excuse, but is UVA committing these levels penalties? No, they're not, they're not good. It's also but. that, but it's like, just because you're a first-year head coach doesn't mean you're a first-year football coach. Like, it's There's the like same thing. It's centuries the same, of it's coaching It's the same experience. thing with, like, the, like, the, like um, the game management stuff with timeout strategy and – you know, I would even say some of the fourth down decisions, like first year head coach, first first year coaching staff kind of thing. Like Brent Pry's been coaching football for thirty years, like he knows like timeout strategy, he knows fourth down situations. Joe Rudolph, like these aren't inexperienced coaches or guys that have never played football or anything like that. So I don't buy any of like the like first year first year not like they should just be better like i I don't think brent pry is just now learning that like like holy crap get the play in it within yeah a certain amount of time like like, what is going on or that you know they they know this stuff it's just whether they prepared for it enough or thought about it enough or anything like that um you know i don't know it's if it continues over the next six games, like that's a problem. I think I think there's at home probably should help. Playing at home probably should help, maybe. Um, and then you know there's a stretch coming up. Tech plays Miami on the fifteenth. Then they'll play one game between then and November fifth. You know there's a lot of practice time in there to to iron that out. But that's that's one of the big things to watch is whether they. Whether that's a trend, you know, I, I can't remember. I haven't looked at any of the stats, but like even going back to the Beamer, Beamer era, like I can't remember a team that penalized themselves as much as this one has. So it's like completely foreign territory. And like I have no concept of whether that, that typically improves or whether that's just who you are, you know? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, this is a team that's comprised of players that weren't committing these penalties a year ago. In a situation where, especially down the stretch, it is imaginable, I think, that 
discipline could kind of fly out the window. Team is kind of out on the staff. Everyone knows the writing's on the wall. You know, that that mental fortitude slips a little bit. Yeah. And it still, it still wasn't this bad. Uh, but also go, go into the, the game management and timeout strategy. Like, all right, so fourth and one, the false start happens. Fourth and six, you're like, okay, we're going to kick the field goal now. Uh, the you're, you're the head coach. You see the play clock running down. You call the timeout. You keep the scoring opportunity, scoring opportunity, if you know another five yards is going to knock you out of field goal range. Like, there's something going on there that isn't working properly where, where that timeout doesn't get called to preserve that chance to score three points. Like, this staff is big enough. If this is a problem, get one of the GAs who you're not otherwise yeah. bringing on the road and have him be your, you know, instead of your get back coach, your, hey, coach, there's four seconds left of the play cock and we're about to be knocked out of field goal range. Yeah. You don't even have to pay the kid. Just bring him with you. There's really no yeah. excuse for what's happening to be happening right now. Right. Because I don't like to put myself in the shoes of someone whose job I am not qualified for. But if I was the head coach of Virginia Tech, or if you were the head coach of Virginia Tech, if I at any point noticed that there was a pattern where maybe I was a little bit overwhelmed with the amount of decisions I had to make and things I had to focus on, but this ultimately can cost you points. Yeah. You are going to figure out a way to prevent that from costing you points in the future. And that is something that Brent Pry has to do. I don't care what it is. It can't happen again. Because, again, like, first-year coach excuse is an excuse, but it's not a good excuse. Yeah. It's the like, same thing with the ODU clock situation. Like, that's a rule. That's You know that that's a, that's a, that's a scenario that happens when they run the clock. Like, you've got to be prepared for that. You've got to be mm-hmm. prepared for that situation, too. And like, call call the timeout. <laughs> like, it's you know, it's like, it's like it reminds me of when like NFL coaches challenge like the dumbest play to challenge, where it's like they challenge a spot in the second quarter or something, and you're like, there's like you're not going to re- overturn that. Like the chance of this and, and the impact of this is so small. What are we doing? And then they lose, and there goes a challenge. Yeah, and it's like, like part of your job is determining the cost-benefit analysis. It's like, um, why was that? Why was that such a like? I, 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 it's one of the most infuriating things about like head coaches in particular. It's like this isn't that uh, like X's and O's and teaching the run fits and all the deep, deep football schematic stuff. Sure not qualified at all but like this isn't rocket science it's really not it's like that we have to get figured out because you know it is you know it's like in the beginning of the fuente era the the beginning to middle of the fuente era when people were starting to be out on fuente and it was it's too early to really be out on fuente and people were like really reaching to get there. It's not going to be that much of a reach, even after year one, if the team doesn't finish too strong. And people will be saying, this guy doesn't know how to manage a football game. Yeah. Which yeah. is 
A1 part of his multifaceted job. It's recruiting, it's development, it's being the face of the program. But at the end of the day, on Saturdays, when all that stuff is supposed to come together, you have to manage the football game and put wins in the column. Yeah, like and, you and could the, deal with just clearly not being talented enough, like being losing a game because, you know, I, I would even say that North Carolina game is like that. Like you're just, you don't have the horses to compete like that, especially when you lose Strong and Chapman and that kind of stuff. But but it's those, but it's when you lose with turnovers and penalties and questionable game management decisions, that's going to, that's going to shorten the leash. Um, I think Virginia Tech as a fan base and as a university is a little more uh, patient than other places and definitely showed that during the Justin Fuente era. You know, I mean, not many coaches get six years anymore. Um, I don't think that's going to be the case here. Like they enjoyed the patient approach with Beamer for what, 30 years, 27 years, whatever that was. Um, and that, and that, I think that certainly contributed to the patience they showed with Justin Fuente, but I think that's out the door here. I think a, a Jeff Collins length leash is standard in the world of power five college football at this point. Yeah. Virginia Tech has entered the, the, the modern college football expectations, which I mean, with, especially with the transfer portal now, it's, it's fair. Like you've got to, you got to show some real signs of progress fairly quickly. Yeah. I mean, for sure. For sure. All right. The defense, right? We were talking top 20 defense. Then we were like maybe top 40 defense. And now they've allowed 86 points in two weeks. Are you out on this group? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, running for 320. And some of those runs just you know, breaking through, you know, I, I, it kind of went how I thought it was. Pitt's got a big experienced offensive line that, you know, as the game went on, Abanacanda got better and better. Not surprised about that, but, um, like, you know, I think we said this back in September, like text, text defense looks good now. Certainly the, the, how terrible, ODU and Boston College's offense are contributed to that, but also like the book is out. Like you're six games in, there's not many secrets anymore. You know how to attack the schemat the schematic weaknesses. You know what Virginia Tech likes to do when they show certain looks. You certainly know um, who the weak who the weak weaker players are to target. Um, so there's you know it's just a tough situation when when the book gets out on you and that that that's kind of what it looks like at this point you know carolina went up and down the field through the air pit runs all over them on the ground um i think it's definitely concerned they're down to number 67 in fei on defense so certainly down to top 70 defense now um which is a which is a big concern and you know this is we, we do have to remember this is a defense full of guys that were on what top 60, 70, 80 defenses for the last four or five years. Pollard, Kendricks, 
hollow field Chamari Connor. Like part of the thing that we talked about heading into the season was it is this just what the defense what these defensive players are at this point? And maybe this is the ceiling. Maybe this is it. Yeah, I mean, at the beginning of the season when the defense was playing well, I mean, I, I don't think that either you or I were on board with the idea that this was like truly a top like 10 defense, like they were showing and many were buying into. But at the same time, all these guys are back. They've got plenty of on the field experience and time to learn over the course of their careers. We're bringing in a defensive minded coach. Maybe they took that next big step forward it makes sense that this could be a team where the defense carries. And it's interesting, Doug, because I know you and I are both uh, close examiners of the pro football focus grades, and Virginia Tech doesn't grade out that poorly on defense against Pittsburgh, which is weird when you let the other people that. running back like, score saw... six touchdowns and – that's a, that's one of those put, BFF that makes you like just kind of scratch your head sometimes. Like, yeah. well, like they literally—it looks like the intern got tired as a, <laughs> they literally almost rewrote the record book for like ACC rushing, and BFF's like, oh, pretty good. Like, I don't, I don't know about that one. Yeah, I, it, it didn't didn't make a ton of sense. I mean, there were there were moments when, like last week with Dax, it was like, all right. I remember a bunch of plays where I could see him getting pluses. Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe that's the the flaw in it, right? It's just on a plus minus scale where you can only get plus so many points or minus so many points on one. They've so got, like they had they had text run defense at a 79.4. Close to an 80, which is pretty good against Pitt. Like no. Not a, no. <laughs> it's not what happened. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah, that's tough. I don't know. The in, the interior defensive linemen, Fuga and Pollard, looked looked all right, at least early on. Fuga had a couple of big plays, probably like. He was my MVP. Yeah, he was my MVP too. Who was your offensive? Straight. I didn't even read the article. I didn't even read to see uh, what you guys had to I say. I think it said Caleb Smith. Okay. We did the same thing. Yeah, I mean, nine catches, 152 yards. Well, that was the obvious one. Yeah. Right? Okay, you know, on that note, we we did no preparation for this podcast. (laughs) Is there, in Doug Bowman's mind, who are your offensive starters at receiver, at tight end, and then, like, what's your running back rotation with distribution? Are there any other receivers that you're – putting in there like we saw something that resembles and we've seen a number of different guys kind of flash for an offense that has been anything but flashy there's been a number of different permutations here that have been used like in your mind what's that ideal combination yeah we we talked about this a little bit like who's who's the best five skill position players or eligible receivers you can put on the field at any time um I think Malachi Thomas and Kashawn King is the obvious one too. I don't think anyone. I don't think anyone disagrees with that. But I kind of think they should play King more than they did against Pitt. Um, 
I'm pulling it up right now, but he was, you know, I guess you ride Thomas, but like you talked all season about how <laughs> Sean King is the, the, uh, you know, the biggest home run threat, the biggest play, best playmaker, most explosive player on the field. And then he played five snaps against Pitt. Um, you know, or that that's rushing. Hold on, let me pull up the full one. You know, then he played 17 snaps against Pitt while, you know, Thomas got 59. I, th- I think King needs a little more time. Um, I'd, I'd maybe shift that distribution a little closer tailback. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, Jalen Holston doesn't need to play. Bryce Duke doesn't need to play, except in mop-up time because they've already burned his red shirt. Um, it's it's the Thomas and King show at wider that running back um, at wide receiver. Caleb Smith has got to be the number one receiver. Um, probably that break that I talked about around the NC State game, which what's that ten days on either side of the NC State game, will should help him get healthy for for November. Um, he's proven that. I think you got to keep giving Dewan Lofton chances. Uh, he, he is the third most targeted receiver on the team, so that you know he he he's seems still seems the most likely wide receiver to break out. Um, definitely got to be concerned with Christian Moss at this point. Uh, played did not play against Pitt, um, and he, and that's after he kind of. He looked pretty good there for, what was that, the Walford game was when he came on, but then he played 12, 12 snaps against North Carolina, 8 against Pitt, or the other way, 12 against West Virginia, 8 against Pitt, did, 8 against North Carolina, did not play against Pitt. So would like to see some more. And then obviously Daquan Wright is the guy that they've got to get uh, extended action as far as a, a wide receiver threat. You know, Gallo... Gallo is second on the team in, in targets with 30. And I think he's second in the ACC among tight ends, actually behind Will Mallory at Miami, um, who Tech is facing this week. So I would like to see some of those targets even go Daquan Wright's way. Because um, I think, you know, two, two, two games, nine catches on 11 targets, it's clear he's one of the best pass, catcher, pass catching threats on the offense. Yeah, it's uh, incredibly hard to to disagree with that at this point. Again, like I said, whatever it may be, it is the task of this coaching staff over the course of the next few weeks to figure it out because ultimately I think a big thing that will play into who wants to come to Tech next year via the transfer portal, recruiting, not just making a late push for 2023, but certainly for 2024, which I think, as we mentioned on last week's podcast, like a win against Miami would probably be uh, very big for that. But I don't think it's entirely dependent. You need to show some progress. You need to show some momentum. That's something that Jeff Collins was never able to do. And in terms of this week and next week with, and I don't know, Doug, I haven't actually checked in the last, few hours do we have a status on Devin Leary for NC State because they give a very vague broad answer I've not seen anything on him okay well they got Syracuse this week right yeah last thing we heard from uh 
from NC State was he could be out. He could be back this week. He could be out six weeks. We just don't know. Oh, oh, thanks. It's like State. coach speak on steroids. <laughs> so, but I think that NC State without Leary suddenly becomes a potentially winnable game where I don't really envision it with him. Yeah. I'm just saying it opens the door right to some degree where I wouldn't it, it gives would you the hope that like you had against West Virginia when you're like well their defense is terrible or yeah. the hope that you had against North Carolina when you're like their defense is terrible and it might rain and now at NC State well yeah, I mean, they might have a backup quarterback who's not any good essentially like yes that's that's it it <laughs> gives you a window of opportunity just yeah. like you know you have the window of opportunity where it's like Miami is undisciplined yeah. Miami as they've always been they've already lost to middle Tennessee they're reeling that tends to be when Miami completely folds over like the team in college football that responds the least well to adversity like say what you will about Justin Fuentes teams after a bad loss they'd always come back yeah and win the next game Miami historically is like the opposite yeah yeah <laughs> so you have plenty of reason to believe in a game where I wouldn't bet money on the Hokies that they could win this game it just opens that window of opportunity for NC State if Leary's not playing. Well, that's a podcast a week ahead of now. But what <laughs> I'm saying is, in the grand scheme of things, these two weeks are your last opportunities to pick up your first signature win, something that your predecessor did not have many of. And when he did get what you thought was the signature win, it ended up being kind of meaningless. That being said, I think that anything resembling a signature win this season would be happily accepted by the Virginia Tech fan base because after North Carolina State and Miami, we go into I don't care territory. Like there, I, I don't think the team could do anything and this coaching staff can do anything barring like an insurmountable amount of injuries over the course of the next two games. To have Virginia Tech fans going into Georgia Tech Duke, Liberty and UVA not feeling like those are games they should win because they should. So is it statistically likely that they're going to go four and over the course of those games? Probably not. Three and so, one. Three and one's fine. Certainly possible. Three, three and one gets you to four wins or to five wins though. It's still, you still show some momentum. Yeah. But a win this week would be huge. So transition done. Tell me why we're going to beat Miami or not. Um, the way Virginia Tech beats Miami is if Tyler Van Dyke takes if the Miami offense reverts to what they showed um, the first four games of the year um, which is a completely different uh, completely different scheme one they switch from Rhett Lashley to Josh Gaddis not as as up-tempo not as they weren't as spread RPO up-tempo as they were under Lashley in the first four games of this year, but it, it's clear Van Dyke, what Gaddis wanted to run in the first four games of the year was not what, you know, not what worked for, or not what Van Dyke was best at. Uh, any metric you look at, like the Van Dyke offense of 2021 versus the Van Dyke offense of 2022, like the 22-22 version just fell off a cliff in terms of big plays and, um, and and success i mean this is a this is a an offense that i'm trying to remember the stat 
Like they're they're the number three offense in the country in terms of drives where they get at least one first down. So they move the ball a little bit, but they're number like ninety nine in the country in terms of percent of drives that end in a touchdown. So so they move the ball a little bit, but they they don't have the big play offense where they can get a chunk play and really put them into um, scoring position to finish the drive off. Uh, last year, they were just all big games. I mean, Van Dyke finished last season with six straight games of 300 yards and, and three touchdowns. It was just prolific in every sense. Um, Which is how he ends up on the Heisman odds sheet going into the year. Heisman, all the NFL lists. like, And then he doesn't crest 200 yards passing in like half the games up until last week where suddenly he, he's almost popping 500 on us. He didn't get 300 until last week when he got 496. And the difference is... They went into the bye week. He met with the coaching staff. This was in the athletic. Um, met with the coaching staff and said, these are the plays that I'm comfortable. These, these, this is what I'm comfortable doing. This is what I'm comfortable running. So um, I think I think what you're looking at now is, is this a Miami offense of the first four games of the year or have they turned the corner and figured it out coming out of the bye week? If it's the one of the first four games, that's how Virginia Tech can win this game. You know, if that's if it's the offense that put up nine against AM, you know, they even struggled with Southern Miss in that first one, first game. Um, I think they were down seven to three after one quarter, only won 30 to seven. It was pretty Walford like, I would say, in terms of comparing it to a Virginia Tech game. Um, and then, of course, the Middle Tennessee State. Like, if that's the offense Miami comes out with, Virginia Tech has a chance. If it's like, if it's more of the UNC offense, then then I think Virginia Tech's going to struggle. Uh, Van Dyke threw the ball 57 times against UNC because they were playing catch up. And um, the one thing that's that's kind of flip flopped from the two from the two Miami offenses this year is early they were run heavy because Van Dyke wasn't any good. The last two games they haven't been able to run the ball at all, which puts a lot on Van Dyke's shoulders. Um, so. You know, it's it's all it's all about Van Dyke and whether he's more of the more of the guy that throws for 300, 400 yards and three touchdowns every game, or more of the guy um, that, that played the first four games of the year. So I tend to think that he's probably leaning in the UNC direction versus the bad direction, which isn't good, which is not good news for Virginia Tech. Um, I, I just think he's too talented a quarterback of which is what we saw last year. Um, and that's not going to – that didn't just evaporate. That didn't just go away. Um, so so that's what I'm expecting. That's how Virginia Tech – you know, I, I think I picked up the lose by two touchdowns um, because I just think a, Van Dyke, a strong Van Dyke offense is, is going to be tough for Virginia Tech to keep up with. I agree. I agree. <laughs> It's uh, certainly trending in the wrong direction for the Hokies if you look at Tyler Van Dyke. But what about Miami's defense? Is this a deeper group that, you know, talk about an offense that's heading in the right direction? Well, it was almost impossible to head in the wrong direction, but they did take some step forward, steps forward. Uh, what, can we, uh, what can we expect from the Miami defense? They are better against the run than they are in the past. Where Virginia Tech has an opportunity here is with that deep passing game that we talked about. Um, Miami's uh, expected points 
EPA against pass plays this year is over two, which is a brutal number. It's second worst in the entire country. I think I think it's Nevada that's worse than them. Um, you know, throwing the ball down the field, generating big plays with the passing game is probably the strongest part of Virginia Tech's offense. That's what we saw with Caleb Smith against Pitt. That's what we saw with Lofton against Pitt. Um, it's the best way to for Virginia Tech to move the ball. So that aligns well. Um, and I think you'll I think you'll see Virginia Tech hit a couple plays. The, the, the key is whether they're going to be able to consistently move the ball and score enough to compete with Miami. If given the the strength of the Miami defense is the running game against what we've talked about earlier, which was a you know a slightly improving Virginia Tech running game. Like if Thomas and King can keep it up and the offensive line keeps progressing and wins that battle, you know, the running game against the Miami run defense. Now you start talking about an offense that could probably or can hang a little better than just one that that is probably going to hit two deep passes, two or three deep passes, get 17 points out of them and, you know, lose 36-17 or something like that. Um, so that's that's the key matchup is going to be the run defense against Tech's running game in terms of like, in terms of how much of a chance Virginia Tech's offense can give them here. Um, Akeem Mesidor is the West Virginia defensive line transfer that Miami got. He's really good, uh, one of the best defensive linemen in the country. Uh, Leonard Taylor, they play like eight or nine guys on the defensive line, so they just rotate them in. Leonard Taylor was a former five-star guy. He's only played like 100 snaps this year because they just rotate guys in, but he's been one of the most successful um, defensive linemen in, in that spare time. So up front is where the problem is and where Miami's going to hope to control the game. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Indeed, indeed. All right, Doug. Well, this could be a short one today because we had some serious technical issues coming in. But uh, what's your prediction here? I really, I, I literally just sent my prediction to Matei before this, and I can't remember it. Give me one second. <laughs> um, I know it just said thirty six seventeen, but uh, I don't believe that's what it said. I'm trying to be consistent here. All right, thirty-six twenty. I gave Virginia Tech one more field goal than I than I thought, but I think it. Like I said, I think it's. Um, I think we're going to see a better Miami offense than what we've seen, than what the fir- what the statistics will show you ha- happens as a whole. That's really a first four games. I think the bye week was big for Miami, and they're going to come out 
with a better offense than what the statistics currently show. Um, and I think that's a little combine that with a run defense, which will probably make things difficult um, for for Virginia Tech to to consistently um, gain yards on the ground. I, th I think it's another, you know, two, maybe, maybe they stretch it out to three scores. Tech hangs around a little bit, you know, there'll be a little, little moments where you're like, maybe Tech has a chance to, if they can, you know, if they can score on this drive or, or get a stop here. But um, I think Miami, you know, the talent disparity is off the charts. If you look, <laughs> if you look at the 24 seven composite, it's, like Miami has 45 four stars or five stars on the roster and Tech has nine. So it's, you know, it's just one of those games where Tech's going to be probably going to be hanging around, hanging around, but then you're going to look at the scoreboard. It's going to be like a two touchdown, three touchdown game. And just that kind of feels what kind of team Virginia Tech is against against better opponents this year. Yeah, I mean, our heads are kind of in the same place. I'm going 28-14 on this one. Uh, I think that the home crowd environment could carry the Hokies at least through, like you said, three quarters, two, three quarters, as we've seen. But ultimately, talent wins out in the end. Tech can win this game. It is going to require a complete flip of the coin in terms of turnover margin and penalties that we've seen all year. I'm, I'm not here to bank on that today. Yeah, there's no reason to expect that at this point. At this point. Like, Tech's got to play a complete game in terms of complimentary football, the coach speak term of the year, complimentary football. Penalties and turnovers aren't it. And, you know, a defense that can't stop the run – Admit, like, there's so much, so many things that have to happen for Virginia yeah. to win. I mean, like, that's how upsets. It's the formula, right? Yeah. Like doing the very little things right and a little bit of luck will get you there. And yeah, you know how Middle, done, you know how Middle Tennessee State beat Miami? They picked the off the first. They, they picked off the first pass of the game, and then they had a pick six on like the second possession of the game by one of their defensive linemen. And now you're up. Ten nothing or fourteen nothing, and now you're you're up two possessions basically based off because because of interceptions. Yeah, I mean, if Tech could do it, that'd be great, right? Yeah. Because this is a Miami team that historically, like we said, this is the spot where they start spiraling, and you go into Blacksburg as a heavy favorite, you go down seven fourteen points. Maybe, maybe things, you know, the, the, the egos and the personalities and the, the faith and the system start to go out the window and that gives Tech an opportunity. But at the end of the day, I'm just not here to bank on that. I think Tech can score a couple of touchdowns. I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they cross 20 again. I also am picking Miami to score 28 and thinking my heart of hearts, I'm feeling more that mid-30s, low-40s range based on what we saw from Van Dyke. Small sample size of one game of the season, but we have a larger sample size of half of last season where we know what he's capable of. So yeah. it's really one of those things where just kind of kind of how uh, I'm going yeah. with the, the medium likelihood scenario here, and, and I feel like that's a two-touchdown win for Miami. 
Yeah. I think you, you, you touched on an interesting point about like Miami's commitment, I guess is what we're talking about. Like how, how they're going to hang together through adversity. If they're, if they, you know, if they're two and three now, and if they fall behind 10, nothing early, we kind of talked about this with West Virginia when, when it, when Neil Brown was on the rocks, I'm pretty sure he's still on the rocks <laughs> there. Um, yeah. But one like, win against Virginia Tech did not change that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you look at like 45 blue chips, um, I'm I'm comfortable saying that blue chip recruits mostly have an inflated opinion of their ability and want and are more likely to be upset about not playing, um, not understanding why they're not playing, and and when losses happen, they get unhappy their parents get unhappy, their buddies get unhappy. And like the answer tends to be, I mean, that's where things fall apart in the locker room. And is could it happen after six games of the Mario Cristobal era? Could it happen after six games of the Brent Pry era? Sure. I mean, that's, that's the risk you run, especially with the transfer as it is. I think Miami brought in a ton of transfers too. So that adds that other layer of like, like new coach doesn't like yeah the new coach came get his evals and said yeah, nope doesn't like me else. won't play me and all the guys that he brought and we're still losing you know and uh it, it you know it could go it could go sideways pretty quickly in the locker room based on that so you know i said the same thing against west virginia it's like a maybe this happens probably a small chance of that happening I mean, you know, Mario Cristobal is a good coach, so, you know, I don't have much concern about him losing the locker room versus, like, Neil Brown in year three where everybody knows he's about to get fired kind of scenario. Like, everybody knows Mario Cristobal is going to be there for quite some time. So, um, yeah, it's, like, one of the things where you better get on the bus or or it's going to leave you behind. Yeah. Again, though, I mean – we can play the uh, armchair psychologist of yeah. college football teams all we want. <laughs> and if we're right, deck wins, we could come back and say, look at us. But at the same time, like talent tends to win out in the end. Yeah. And given deck's past performance is <laughs> yeah. in multitude, like a win here, in my opinion, requires the best of what we've seen from the tech offense with the best of what we've seen against the tech defense and the best of what we've seen against the tech of the tech defense was against some offenses that were not very good. So correct. It's a whole new animal. So I'm willing to be pleasantly surprised. And this is another game where again, if we can walk away with this with some silver linings and say, well, Miami was the more talented team, but I don't feel worse about the month of November that I did going into the game, it's probably just fine. You know, don't get absolutely humiliated in front yeah. of all those recruits. Yep. Uh, anything above that is not a victory, but not a catastrophic moment. Catastrophic moment potential is, uh, you know, it's obviously yet to come in the month of November. And in my opinion right now, that's what the month of October is all about. Yeah, I mean, if you can keep making progress, like, you know, Pitt was some small amount of progress, I'd say, compared to 
North Carolina and West Virginia, you can keep competing against, you know, these higher level teams, Miami and NC State, that gives you that kind of confidence to go into Georgia Tech and that gives you the confidence that three and a three and one finish, you know, with a win over UVA at the end is on the table. Um, I think that feels like if Virginia Tech goes in, goes three and one in November, beats UVA, and um, Malachi Thomas and Kashawn King have established themselves as a quality one and two running back duo. Um, if Dwan Lofton is coming along, if Daquan Wright is coming along, if um, you know some of the young players, McCray and Nelson and Jaden Keller um, or Jordan McDonald, whoever the young player they're trying to at will linebackers, like if if those things are happening, like Tech is what what would that be five and seven with the three Correct. and one three and one finish and like some pieces starting to you feel good about it? Yeah, give you know, me give me reason fine. to believe. Give me like this wasn't great at all. No, this give was not reason, good. <laughs> give me reason to believe that next yeah. year will be better. Yeah, and you know you head in there with a little momentum and. And you could call up some transfers and say, hey, we're just a few pieces away. Look what so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so did last yep. year. They, they were just sophomores. With a full year in our system. Yeah, we got a lot of playing time at this position and this position and this position ready for you. Yeah. I mean, at this point, right, the goal for the month of October has got to be like coming onto this podcast and just – I'm sure for all of you listeners out there, talking to your buddies, going on the boards, whatever. North Carolina, that game, like there was really nothing positive you could say yeah. about it. Right. Nothing. At least with Pitt, we were able to come on here, talk for an hour, and have it not be entirely negative. Yeah. Like, give me some light at the end of the tunnel. And that's what uh that's what we're looking for. And if they surprise us with a victory, that's just icing on the cake right there. But uh, all right, Doug, Nebraska beat Rutgers. That was the most Nebraska Rutgers game uh, I've ever seen. That was just pure Big Ten, like bottom tier Big Ten football. Yes, it was. It was a sight to behold. It was yeah. a sight to behold. Again, my. My Nebraska's bowl odds are better than Virginia Tech's prediction is is okay. But honestly, you know, the the I, I looked uh, yesterday or whatever. I was just on Facebook and I saw the VT Scoop Facebook page post the bowl predictions. It's like where do they think where do we have Virginia Tech going? I was like, are they just trolling us to get us to click on the link? And then we're they're not gonna be included, but the Gasparilla Bowl is a prediction. Whoever the CBS, yeah, whoever the CBS Sports bowl projector is. Who is the other team? Is it UAB or something? Oh, God. Would we beat UAB? Um, I don't, I don't know. I, don't know I watched some UAB, UAB Middle Tennessee State the other day, and I'll tell you, they had stock still fooled. It's not easy. UAB's number 72 in FBI, text number 97, so. Take that for what it's worth. Yeah, we'll take that for what it's worth. It's not a problem until it becomes a problem. <laughs> I'm not going to worry too much about who we're playing in the bowl game just yet. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little premature there. Uh, uh, here's a question. Here's a question. 
I have for you. I had a big argument with a buddy about this the other day. To this point in his tenure, would you say that Jimbo Fisher is falling short of expectations? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like my buddy who's his dad is the one good year it was the COVID year, right? When they went 10 yeah. and one or Which nine and one counts. or whatever. Barely counts. Yeah. They had a good team, but it was a COVID year. And he's like, look, I mean, yeah, I'm like, it's like eight and five, eight and five. They'll be lucky to go eight and five this year. He's like, look, their losses were Clemson, Georgia, Alabama, LSU, and they had like the one loss to Mississippi State. That's who they like, hired. You hired Jimbo Fisher so that you would win those games. That's yeah. the point. That's why you made him, I think, at the time, the highest paid coach in college football. And then they I gave him an extension. Didn't they extend exactly. him this year before this season, or was that last season? I think it was after the COVID year. Yeah. I mean, nonetheless, there's reason to think that things will get better. They have the number one recruiting class last year. Those kids are already playing and starting, and it's a young team. I just don't think that in year five, Fisher's like, it's a rebuilding year. Nick Saban doesn't have rebuilding years. Yeah. He got that thing done in like three years. So, like, from loser, not bowl eligible to national championship caliber, took about three years for Nick Saban. The point of bringing in Jimbo Fisher was to try to emulate that. And it's not like Texas A&M has any structural disadvantages. Yeah, no. I'm not saying it's a failure. No. It's just he's falling short of expectations. Yeah, he's uh, he's a he's winning games at like Kentucky or Mississippi State level, which is not what they hired him to be. They hired him to beat Alabama and Georgia, and you know they're like um, they're like they're like LSU was for years until they hit gold with Joe Burrow, where like. You know, they have athletes all over the place. But your quarterback is average. You're going to be, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to win. You're not going to be that successful. Um, That's just, you know, LSU went through the same thing, and it's still kind of going through that. Yeah. It was one year out of the woods. Yeah. So, like, so is Jimbo Fisher going to, like, is Jimbo Fisher eventually going to hit gold in the transfer portal with the quarterback? win his national title and yeah i mean they, they he's still gotta have like nine or ten years left on that deal and they don't have a buyout so they could pay him 85 million dollars to go away i wouldn't wouldn't suggest it they sure could. i mean some of these deals that they that have been handed out are gut like that mel tucker deal at michigan state uh is i think it's the same kind of deal where there's no relief for the school to buy him out and they just gave him 10 years and 10 million dollars a year after one good year <laughs> it's like yeah, uh I, you know i don't think i don't think anything's changed with michigan state recently that makes them any more likely to be any likelier to become like michigan like Sorry. To be fair, You're Michigan still State Michigan, Michigan State. Michigan State beats Michigan almost every year. So well, that, that's yeah. Fair. Well, there's eight and four every year for the most part too. So you're that's paying true. a lot of money for an eight and four coach. The uh, what was the comparison I saw? It was Paul Chris' resume gone versus Jim Harbaugh's resume unfireable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. the university. Well, at least oh, well, yeah. They turned it around. It was ironic last year when it was like the week following the extension. They played Ohio State. 
and got absolutely lit up. Yeah. It was like 45 nothing at halftime. And it's like, ah, yeah, a little premature there. All right, last question I got for you. It's December. Radio City Music Hall. Will Hendon Hooker be one of the four people? At this point, 100%. Like, it's got to be. Right, who's it's Stroud Hooker. Who else? Like Bryce Young's probably hurt himself, literally. But <laughs> hurt his eyes and hopes. He doesn't. He doesn't look like one of the best four quarterbacks this year. And now he's literally injured. I, and like, I don't think you know Will Anderson of Bama is probably the best player in the country by any. Like, if you're just looking. Like in terms of just pure talent, but I don't think he's having a big enough year to to win that as a defensive player. But like, I, Hooker has a chance to win it this week. Like, he has a chance to lock it up right, like right now, with a big performance it's just, against. It's amazing. Bama. You can't. I mean, I really do surround myself with. Virginia Tech people. Like I lived in Blacksburg for eight years. I come to Charlotte and I just hang out with tech <laughs> alums down here. You know, all my friends everywhere are tech people. Yeah. The internet. It's like <laughs> I can't walk into a room without someone mentioning Hendon Hooker. Like yep. it's and I'm happy for him. I'm so happy for him. He's a good kid. Yep. Good dude. It's amazing what a little change of scenery and uh, philosophy can do. Is that what is that what we're calling it? Philosophy. I mean, it is in terms of offensive philosophy, night and day difference. I remember people. I remember when he was at Tech, and people would be like, they'd be whispers. Hendon Hooker doesn't want to run the ball twenty five times a game. They want he wants to let loose. And people would be like, ah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, he was right. He knew his own ability. <laughs> remember, remember when Josh Jackson was quarterback, and people would be like, "What about Hooker? Can we put in Hooker?" Oh no, he can't throw. He he should. He might as yeah. well be a running back. Oops. Well, uh, uh, so he can open that can of worms all day. Talk talk about that missed opportunity. Uh, I know we shouldn't. That over that overthinking of the whole quarterback situation there from. From the end of 2019 through through no, I'm, 20, I'm sure you yeah. I'm sure you could dig up some bad takes from me if you wanted from various outlets, but no, <laughs> I bought I bought the coach speak and I was like, hey, maybe Burmeister's better. Who knows? Uh, no, he wasn't better. To be fair, for some games at Virginia Tech, Burmeister didn't look horrible, but now he looks pretty darn bad. <laughs> the San Diego State Aztecs. Yeah, not benched. Not, not great. <laughs> not great, Bob. Not great. All right, we're done. All right, call it quits. No Maybe, more. No Sorry, Duke Daniel. Talk. Sorry, no. Sorry, Duke. We'll get to you next week. Yeah, Duke. Duke and Kansas. Go beat North Carolina. Yeah. Duke's only three point dogs against North Carolina. We pick them out. Like... Riley Leonard. He's good. Put, gonna put on a show. I'm telling you. All right. BT's group, 247 Sports, Andrew Alex, Doug Bowman. Subscribe to the pod. We'll be back next week. Hope with some more silver linings and maybe beyond that. But enjoy the game, folks. I'll be there. 
Go to Hokie House at nine o'clock in the morning. We're doing a live pregame show. <laughs> nine a.m. Hokie House. Do it. Uh, <laughs> Until then, my friends. Go Hokie. You ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday, experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If ready, PG. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski.